You know, a couple of thousand years ago when dinosaurs ruled the earth and Mario was middle-aged, I was in seminary the first time. And our Old Testament professor had um, quite a way of testing our knowledge. We would look at, say, the first five books of the Old Testament, and we would study those and hopefully comprehend. At the end of that section, he would then give a comprehensive test over those. And most of his tests were who to whom concerning what. Let me give you an example. He would write the following sentence. Blank said to blank, the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another, period. From memory, you had to fill in those two blanks. Who said to whom? Give the book, if you could, the chapter. For an extra credit, the verse. And then you had to write about three sentences to explain what this conversation was about. And he'd have, you know, 20 of those over five books of the Old Testament. You learned it. Well, this morning you get a who to whom concerning what. Because there is among Christians, Catholic and Protestant, some confusion about who was speaking to whom and what were they talking about. So let's get real clear on this first Sunday of Lent. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the evil one, the devil, the tempter, Satan, by any name you want to call him, saw an opportunity. I'll speak to that in just a moment. Today at the beginning of her 40 days of Lenten observance, the eyes of the whole Catholic Church are fixed on Jesus, tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Jesus is preparing himself for his active ministry and ultimately for his sacrificial death upon the cross. And his church is preparing herself once more to celebrate at Easter the saving mystery of her redemption. So with Jesus, for 40 days, the whole church now gives herself to fasting, to self-discipline, to spiritual exercises, and to active works of charity. That's why we have Lent. If a Protestant friend or relative asks you, well, why, why do you all do that Lent thing? Because Jesus did. It's not that complicated. Fourth chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew, verses 1 through 11. Because Jesus did. 
That's the best answer possible. In the words of St. Benedict, the church strives during these days to keep her manner of life most pure and to wash away in this holy season the negligences of other times. Yeah. There's a lot of talk on the news right now about uh, a big revival that has started at at one of the, the seminaries in Kentucky and now seems to be moving to other Protestant colleges and universities and seminaries and other places. That's great. I'm glad they're getting religion. Lent is our universal church's revival. Okay? Real simple. It is our revival. It is both consoling and important for us to know that Jesus was tempted and that he resisted his temptations. Although free from sin, Jesus shared our human nature fully. Now, fasting in the desert, he was sharply confronted with the reality and the vulnerability of his human weakness. Jesus didn't get a shortcut through the 40 days. He did it through his humanness. The devil, watching closely, sees his opportunity and he strikes. His aim by any means at all is to turn Jesus aside from his chosen pathway of humility and obedience of suffering, of death and resurrection, Jesus sees with clear and open eyes what following this pathway will cost him. He understands also his radical ability to avoid it. Now, Jesus could have gotten out of his messianic journey by simply saying, no, God, looks too tough for me. Yet, unlike Adam, his ancestor, who we read about in Genesis this morning, Jesus defeats the tempter, and he does do this as man, as a human, in a human way, using only the weapons that are at hand also for us. The divinity of Christ did not beat the devil in the wilderness. The humanity of Jesus beat the devil in the wilderness with the very same things that are at your hand. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, study of Scripture. So Satan says, if, I can just hear him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into loaves. You're hungry? Good. Open up a Panera bread right here in this rock quarry. If you are the Son of God, 
But two or three verses before this in St. Matthew's Gospel, we have read the witness of God the Father, corroborated by the sign of the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, heavens open, and the words of God are spoken. This is my beloved Son. My favor rests on him. And don't bet against the fact that the devil wasn't hanging around in a cave somewhere close. So Jesus knows, Satan knows, and we know perfectly well that Jesus is indeed God's son. The trouble is, the world doesn't know this. Can the world really be expected to come to Jesus when all it sees in his human ordinariness, his mortal weakness, his humility. Let Jesus then prove who he is, beyond a doubt, by using his divine power. Let him produce food by a miracle, just as God did for the Israelites in the desert in the time of Moses. So let him pervert his mission, which is not to be served, but to serve and to give himself up, his life, as a ransom for all of us. Jesus rejects this and the temptations that follow with a text from Deuteronomy. And as he does so, he offers us a living commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which will follow in the next chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. We see Jesus here in the desert, pure in heart, hungry and thirsty for bread and water, but mostly for righteousness. We see him persecuted by the devil. He quotes the Old Testament scriptures, for he came not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He proves his divine sonship and his right to inherit the kingdom not by exerting power, but by his poverty of spirit, his gentleness, his choice of the ways of peace. Jesus here refuses to be anxious about what he shall eat or what he shall drink. He takes no thought for tomorrow. He seeks first the kingdom of God and its righteousness trusting that all these other wants and needs will be added. He lives out the prayer that he taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, Satan tries it again. If you are the Son of God, says Satan, Throw yourself down. Having failed to persuade Jesus to act independently of God's providence, Satan now suggests he presume upon that providence. Of course, the suggestion sounds rather plausible. Jesus is to go to the temple where God dwells and where all the pious Jews are assembled in worship. He is to trust God completely and put all 
all of his faith in a text of Holy Scripture, which Satan is happy to quote. Never forget, Satan knows Scripture. And in his response, Jesus teaches us how we are most truly to trust in God, who is indeed always with us and who does indeed send his holy angels to watch over our every step. But the concern of the angels for us is above all spiritual. The angels What do they want? Well, they want to bring us securely to heaven just as the evil one wants to bring us to hell. Yeah, I said that word. We still believe in it, contrary to the culture. If you have a Catholic who tells you, well, there's no devil and there is no hell, then they are no Catholic. Because we believe in the evil one and the place that he wants to drag us to. The angels want us to become more Christ-like. They want us. They want us in the kingdom. They help us to trust in God even amidst darkness and difficulties, amid pain and distress, even when we cannot see our way forward or understand what is happening to us. When we, in the dark of the night, when we cannot sleep, and the only thing we can focus on is that ceiling fan going around and around and around, we ask the same question that Job asked, Why me, God? Sometimes we don't get an answer. The final temptation is the most blatant. Satan says, fall at my feet and worship me. Here, Satan overplays his hand. The mask he has been wearing now slips to expose the false promises, the empty lies, the naked pride and rebellion against God, the ugly face of evil. In response, Jesus seems to lose patience. Against the fallen angel of light, he now applies, well, a divine flyswatter. Be off, Satan. Go away. And Satan goes for a while. He will return. He will return, though, with a final temptation or test. You know, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm jumping now from first Sunday of Lent to Monday, Thursday. By divine permission, Satan will do his utmost against Christ. He will load him down with hatred and insults, lacerate his flesh with scourges, and pierce it with nails. He will humiliate him with thorns and hang him up for public shame, for death and final defeat. Yet Satan will be the one there who is 
truly defeated. Jesus will be shown finally as much stronger than the evil one. Jesus will meet his passion with patience, forgiveness, and unwavering love, love for his Father, and love for each and every one of us. He will show there that our dignity, our happiness, our treasure does not lie in power or possessions or worldly pleasures or success, that it is certainly not to be attained by acts of blasphemy, the enslavement of ourselves to the devil. No, our supreme blessing is to be able to worship God, to share in the sonship of Jesus, and to pass with Jesus through death unto eternal life. Today, the church reminds us, I would suggest gravely warns us, that the devil does exist, that he is our enemy, and that he does not sleep. Sometimes he leaves us more or less alone. <laughs> I kind of think that sometimes when we're not doing much for him, then he doesn't do much to us. If we're not doing much for him, the evil one kind of leaves us alone. But sometimes he ferociously assaults us. Sometimes with great subtlety, he invites us to commit minor infidelities. How many times have I been asked in the confessional, Father, do little white lies count? Yes. Well, why? Because they're practice for the big black ones. If you get used to those saying those little ones, oh, that won't hurt. It gets us fortified for those big, ugly black ones that we eventually get to. Sometimes more openly, the devil urges us to complete betrayal. But we never have to consent. The devil does not have that power over us. By the water of holy baptism, by confirmation, first communion, by coming to the table of the Eucharist on a regular basis, we don't have to consent to the devil. On our own, we are weak and we are indeed liable to fall. But we are never alone. We stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus, who never ceases to feed us with his word and with himself. And in any case of necessity, oh yes, he will send indeed his holy angels to defend us to care for all our needs and to lead us unfailingly to our heavenly home. So on this first Sunday of Lent, I bid you a holy Lent. Amen.